0: Section 2. Snow Lotus comes to Big Sister Shin again and again. Each time she leaves as if enlightened, but soon after she returns, her face is full of unhappiness. I can imagine the kind of troubles that someone like her must endure, but I can't help wanting to know more. I have many technical ways to satisfy my curiosity, but they all require that I set foot first in Big Sister Shin's room. I know that the only way is to become a disciple." I need the aid of spirits, I tell Big Sister Shin. I'm not lying. Come in. Big Sister Shin has seen countless men. She can spot a liar from a mile away. The room isn't big and it's dimly lit. On the wall, I can see paintings of shamanistic spirits, the chaotic brushstrokes probably the result of a drug-addled brain. Big Sister Shin sits in front of a square altar covered by a red flannel cloth. On top of the altar are a mask, a cowhide drum, a drum whip, a bronze mirror, a bronze bell, and other ritual implements. An electronic prayer machine begins to recite sutras. She puts on the mask, and through the hideous eye holes, I can see an ancient and alien light in her eyes. The great spirit is listening, she says. Her voice is low and rasping, full of an indisputable sense of dignity. I can't resist her power. There's a story locked away in the darkest corners of my memory, but it has never ceased to torment me. Sin is like wine. The more it is hidden from sunlight, the more it ferments, growing more potent. Suddenly, I startle awake. My subconscious has been playing a trick on me. It's not curiosity about Snow Lotus that caused me to step into this room, but the inner desire to be free of repression, to seek relief. I'm from outside the fence. I was an engineer. I try to control my breathing, to steady my voice. I'm from outside the fence. I was an engineer. Back in 1983, before I was born, a barbed wire fence 84.6 kilometers long and 2.8 meters high was built to divide Shenzhen into two parts. Inside the fence is 327.5 square kilometers of the Special Economic Zone. Outside is a wilderness of 1,600 square kilometers. They say that the purpose of the fence was to provide some relief for the border checkpoint between Hong Kong and Shenzhen. Before 1997, when Hong Kong was ruled by Great Britain, there used to be many waves of illegal border crossings. The Berlin Wall never truly fell. The fence and its nine checkpoints separated not only people and traffic, but also different systems of law, welfare, Tax benefits, infrastructure, and identity. The area outside the fence became Shenzhen's mistress. Because of its proximity to the special economic zone and its vast tracts of undeveloped land, it attracted many labor intensive, though low value added, industries. But every time outside the fence was mentioned, a Shenzhener's first thought was of the deserts in Hollywood westerns, a poor, backwards place, where the roads were always under construction where running red lights had no consequences, where crime was rampant and the police powerless. But history always surprises us with similarities. Shenzhen also had its own version of the taming of the West. In 2014, the government's decision to finally tear down the fence received unprecedented opposition. Shenzheners living inside the fence believed that they would be overwhelmed by migrants from the other side and suffer increased crime but those living outside the fence opposed it even more. They felt that they had been abandoned by those inside the fence back when the special economic zone grew, and now that development had run into a wall due to the scarcity of developable space, they were now being exploited for their only resource, land. If unopposed, increased rent and prices would drive the low-income population out of their homes. Young people even dressed up in Native American garb, and tied themselves to the fence to prevent it from being torn down. The factory where I worked was one of the electronics manufacturers affected by the change. Every year we relied on orders from Europe, America, and Japan for augmented reality gear components to earn foreign currency. At the same time, our margins were being squeezed by the declining value of the dollar against the yuan. If commercial rent and wages also rose, then there would be nothing left for profit. The owner announced at an all-hands meeting that everyone should be prepared for layoffs. I was a mold engineer. I wanted to do something to make as much money as I could before I was let go. Everyone thought that way. Our clients gave us prototypes for unreleased products so that we could design the molds ahead of actual production. Following strict NDAs and security procedures, RFID chips embedded in the prototypes sent out signals at 433 megahertz and communicated with dedicated receivers through a proprietary over-the-air protocol. If at any time a prototype left the designated area, an automatic alarm would sound. If the prototype weren't returned to the designated area within 300 seconds, the machine would activate a self-destructive mechanism. Of course, if that were to occur, the factory would lose all international credibility and be blacklisted by clients and get no more business. Throughout the Pearl River Delta, Experienced and crafty buyers solicited secret prototypes at high prices. Getting their hands on such prototypes and reverse-engineering them would bring these Shanjai electronics manufacturers tens of millions in profit. These days, getting rich unethically was easier than running an honest business. I had lined up everything—a willing buyer, a price, a way to deliver the goods, and an escape route. But I still needed one more thing—a helper— someone to divert the attention of the crowd and lure away the security guards. I couldn't think of anyone better for the job than Chen Gan, who was also from my hometown. I understood Chen Gan. He was a shy young man. His wife had just given birth to their second daughter, and he was worried about how he would be able to afford his first daughter's elementary school tuition. As a migrant, he could not have his household registration in Shenzhen, and had to pay an extra fee for his daughter to go to the regular school. Without that money, he would have to send his daughter to a different school, a low-quality place set up for the children of migrant workers. He would often look at a picture of his little girl and say that he didn't want her to repeat the path he had walked. I made a deposit into his bank account. Not too much, just enough to cover the extra fee for the school. For the Chinese, what reason could be more compelling than, "'For my child,' At the agreed-upon time, I heard the sound of loudspeakers outside my building. I knew that Shen Gan was already playing his role. In the middle of the yard, he had covered himself in gasoline and held a lighter in his hand. He declared that if the owner didn't pay him enough severance, then he would light himself on fire. As security guards rushed anxiously into the yard with fire extinguishers, no one paid attention as I took the emergency stairs up to the roof, clutching the stolen prototype. I was one of only five individuals in the factory authorized to touch the prototype. Taking advantage of opportunities afforded by my duties, I had tested the RFID trigger mechanism several times. The logs appeared to only record the latitude and longitude of the device, but not the altitude. This hole allowed me to devise an effective method of delivery to the buyer. On the roof, the wind blew strong and cold, like the moment before the first drops of rain. Almost all the workers in the factory had congregated in the yard to watch how the self-immolation drama would end. If the owner gave in to Gan's demands, tomorrow hundreds more would be waiting for him, doused in gasoline. But I'd known the owner for three years. He was the sort who would encourage Gan to go ahead and use the lighter, and then he would light a cigarette from the smoldering pile of ash. A dragonfly-like remote-controlled helicopter approached from afar, humming, and landed on the roof. Following directions, I tied the prototype to the bottom of the helicopter. Unsteadily, it began to rise. I anxiously watched this fragile machine on which the lives of two men, and perhaps of even more, depended. The maximum communication distance between the RFID chip and the receiver was about 60 feet. The roof was already close to that limit. The helicopter hung in the air, as if waiting for more direction. I didn't know how the buyers intended to deal with a self-destructive mechanism or if they were going to crack the communication protocol and substitute in a false signal to fool the device. That was all beyond what I could control. For a moment, I thought the helicopter might never leave, but it did eventually leave the roof and then disappeared into the gray sky. Calmly, I rode the elevator down and squeezed myself into the gaping crowd. I made sure that Chingan Gan saw me, He nodded, almost imperceptibly, gave me his trademark shy smile, and dropped the lighter. The security guards were on him immediately and wrestled him to the ground. It was time to leave, I thought. I got on the inner-city bus to Dongguan, but before the bus had even started its engine, my phone began to vibrate insistently. Given what I knew about the owner, I never would have had much time, but I hadn't expected to be caught so quickly. Maybe it was the closed-circuit cameras, or maybe Chin Gan sold me out. But I didn't care anymore. I just wanted him to be all right, to live long enough to see his daughter go to school. I threw away my phone, got off the bus, and got on the bus going the opposite direction, inside the fence, into Xin Instinctively, I knew that was the safer direction. This was how I came to be in Sha Chui village. For the last half year, I've tried every which way to find out news about Chin Gan, but have heard nothing. I thought I was sufficiently indifferent, indifferent to the point that I could abandon my useless conscience. But often I would awaken in the middle of the night, breathless. In my dreams, Chin Gan, smiling his shy smile, would burn and turn into a pile of ashes. Sometimes I would even dream of his two daughters, crying, burning with him also turning into ash. I knew that I could no longer hide from myself. Please, tell me if he's all right. My face is full of tears, even though I don't remember crying. The wooden shaman mask glowers at me with its rounded eye holes, orange light reflecting off the surface. The face is that of an angry goddess. Through the eye holes, I can see a strange glint in her eyes. Blue sparkling flashes, very high in frequency. Suddenly, I understand. The mask is nothing more than a fucking well-made disguise for a pair of augmented reality glasses. All this time, I've thought that Big Sister Shin is just a fraud pretending to be a medium and making her money by telling her clients what they want to hear. But she actually has real power. Guessing conservatively, her information privilege level must be set to at least level IIA or above giving her the power to access an individual's private file based on facial recognition. But even so, without professional-grade analysis filter software, how can she glean any useful information out of that torrent within such a short time? It would be like finding a needle lost in the sea. I can only credit her shaman genes, like Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man being able to tell how many matches are in a box with a single glance. The lights behind the eye holes flash faster, my heart accelerates. He's doing well. Hope rekindles in my heart. At least there, he no longer needs to worry about money. Big Sister Shin points towards the sky. Then she adds, I'm sorry for your loss. I suck in a deep breath. Even though I was expecting it, now that the fear has settled into reality, I still feel a deep helplessness. The whole world seems to have lost focus and nothing can be relied on. I know that in this world, there's only one thing I can do to try to atone, even if it will provide only illusory comfort for my conscience. I want a working bank account number for Chingan's family. Money was once my placebo. Now I no longer need it. It's dark by the time I leave Big Sister Shin's room. I look around at Sha Chui, where lights are just being turned on behind windows. People are bustling every which way, filling the air with hope. But my heart is like a dead pool of water. I open my hand. Emptiness. My subconscious has played another trick on me. I did indeed install the bug below the rim of the altar. I thought I was there for Chen Gan. But in the end, I couldn't forget about Snow Lotus. I smile a Shenzhen-style smile.